Welcome back to the Der Show. Um, as you know, the marshal's office in the Supreme Court has basically thrown up its hand and said, look, we can't solve this mystery of who leaked uh, the decision, um, the draft opinion in the case uh, overruling Roe versus Wade. We tried everything. We 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 even spoke to the justices. It was a conversation. It wasn't an interrogation and there was no affidavit or no swearing or anything like that. We spoke to 100 people. Uh, some of them had to sign affidavits, some of them not, um, but uh, we haven't gotten to the bottom of it. So President Trump made a suggestion, interestingly enough, as soon as this was over, he said, why not subpoena the journalists? There are two journalists. They work for Politico. We know their name. They were in the article uh, and, and, and put them under oath and say, who gave you the draft decision? in that case. And they'll say, oh, no, 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 we, we can't answer that. It's, it's journalists a privilege. And then it'll go to the court and the court will have to decide, does the journalist privilege outweigh the governmental need for finding out who was the source of the leak of the opinion? So what I want to do for the next 15 minutes or so is to conduct a Socratic seminar, the kind I would have done at Harvard Law School for 50 years, presenting all sides of the issue and leave it to you to decide how you come out. Okay, let's start with this. Normally, uh, when a source uh, tells a journalist about something that's secret and confidential, it's designed to alert the journalist to the fact that there's government wrongdoing. Pentagon Papers, Ellsberg, um, told the New York Times. Ellsberg, of course, admitted it, so there was no privilege issue. Or WikiLeaks. Um, WikiLeaks had all kinds of information about government misconduct. And so in the traditional case, in the Judith Miller case, she went to jail for 80 days, there was a leak of, um, uh, an improper leak of uh, the name of a CIA agent uh, who could have been killed. Uh, so there was government wrongdoing in all of those uh, uh, cases. In this case, there was no government wrongdoing. The source, a law clerk or whoever it was who turned over the opinion, wasn't trying to alert the public to any government wrongdoing. The Supreme Court was just doing its business. It was circulating draft opinions, indicating who the justices were who tentatively had agreed, um, five of them, um, and um, and uh, in five weeks or a month or two months or three months, it would have been made public. So the law clerk or whoever, and I'm going to say law clerk from now on because I suspect it was a law clerk, the law clerk who leaked the opinion did not do it to expose government wrongdoing. That's a key distinction between this case and almost all the others. What the person did was leak it in order to improperly, in order for the source himself or herself to improperly influence the consideration of the justices. In other words, the only wrongdoing that was done here was not by the government, but by the source himself or herself. What did the source want to accomplish? Well, we don't know. If it was a pro-Roe source, um, maybe, and who didn't want it to be overruled, maybe they thought the public pressure or the demonstrations would persuade uh, a swing justice to go the other way. 
if it was um, anti-Roe uh, extremist, uh, maybe they wanted to lock in the overruling of Roe versus Wade by publicizing the opinion, making it more difficult for one of the justices to say, whoops, we changed our mind. We don't know the answer to that question because we don't know who the leaker was. We don't know what their politics was. We don't know what their ideology was. We don't know what their anything was. We don't know anything about them because they've managed to keep that secret. On the other side is the importance of the source journalist privilege in general. And so I think the argument on the other side in favor of not compelling disclosure is, no, even though disclosure in this case really didn't serve any important purpose, failure to disclose didn't serve any important purpose, it would deter leakers from coming forward and giving things to journalists that they were not supposed to give to the journalists that did expose government uh, corruption. So we don't want to deter that. And so we'll be overbroad. We'll allow that journalist privilege to operate even in areas where there was no government wrongdoing that was being exposed. You know, it's a hard question. It's not, it's not easy uh, to know which side to come out on the privilege itself, the journalist privilege is, is, is filled with exceptions. It's not an absolute privilege, as we know from journalists who have been compelled. Um, some of them have disclosed under compulsion. Some of them, like Judith Miller, who was a brave woman who I know, uh, went to jail for 80 some odd days for refusing to disclose. She used to work for the New York Times. That case was a fascinating and interesting case, but it shows that not in all jurisdictions is the privilege absolute. In many jurisdictions, the court has to weigh the importance to the government of disclosing the source versus the um, importance of preserving confidentiality. For example, if somebody were to give out nuclear codes and was still possibly working in the um, Defense Department or in the Armed Forces, I think every court would compel disclosure of who the source was if that's the only way of finding out who the person was who was likely to uh, have access to the nuclear codes. I mean, that's an extreme example. Um, but there are many other examples in the Judith Miller case. It, it was a leak that endangered the life of a CIA agent and Basically, the decision was made that it was more important to get to the bottom of that than to preserve the um, journalist source of privilege. I don't know what a court would decide in this case. Let's start first with the mechanics of it. It's not, it's not easy because, you know, the marshal's office does not have subpoena power. Uh, all they can do is threaten to fire the law clerk or the employee if they don't cooperate. And if the if the law clerk holds his hand to God and swears that he wasn't the source and he was, uh, the marshal's office can't enforce that. That actually is a federal crime because the marshal is a federal law enforcement official. And some of them actually swore under oath. So if they lied, it would be a crime. And of course, the FBI has jurisdiction to investigate all federal crimes. So I think even now, the FBI would have jurisdiction the Justice Department would have jurisdiction to call in these two journalists and uh, issue a subpoena, make them go in front of a grand jury and put them to the choice of revealing the source or being held in contempt and 
possibly going to jail. Uh, so one possible way to pursue this investigation further is for the chief justice or the marshal's office to request the help of the Justice Department and to turn the investigation over to the Justice Department, because now that there has been some swearing um, or statements to law enforcement officials, the possibility of a crime increases. Disclosing the material itself may not be a crime, but lying about it to a law enforcement agent would be a crime, as we've often heard so many times. It's, it's the cover-up that gets you and the, the swearing that, that might get you. The other alternative doesn't require the Supreme Court or the Chief Justice or the Marshal to request the aid of the Justice Department or the FBI. It could be the House Judiciary Committee or the House Investigative Committee, now controlled by Republicans. They, without being asked by the Supreme Court, can issue subpoenas. And they can issue a subpoena to the two journalists whose names we know from the Politico saying, come in front of our committee and tell us in public session or private session um, who the leaker was. And, um, uh, and, and, and the journalists would say no. Uh, and the case would then go to court. Um, and uh, if the uh, court ruled that the privilege did not prevail in that case, that the need to disclose is greater than the need to keep the material privilege, then the journalist would have this tragic choice that journalists have had over the years of violate your oath to the source that you would not disclose it. And I'm sure such an oath was either implicitly or explicitly made or else go to jail, join Judith Miller. Um, maybe it'll be 80 days, maybe it'll be 80 weeks. Um, there's no limit on how long a person can be held in civil contempt. Um, when you're being held in civil contempt, as the courts like to say, the keys to the prison are in your pocket. Uh, you can get out anytime you want. It's not criminal contempt. If it's civil contempt, you can get out anytime you want, but you have to disclose the source. If you don't disclose the source, hey, we're keeping you in. So uh, which side does the balance seem to be favorable to? Um, the source privilege, which is rooted in the First Amendment. It's a very important privilege. I mean, it's it's not ancient. It's not an ancient privilege. At the time of the framing, there was no such thing as a journalist source privilege. There was no such thing during the 19th century. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, but um, in the 20th century, mid-20th mid century, particularly, the source journalist privilege was uh, recognized more and many jurisdictions now uh, recognize it, some absolutely, most relatively, with the court making the decision. So I ask you to tell me what you would decide if you were the judge. Should there be a presumption in favor of the First Amendment? Um, after all, the First Amendment is critically important. And would that presumption tip the scale in favor of not compelling disclosure? Or should there be a presumption of transparency and openness and uh, an opportunity to get to the bottom of what is the worst leak in Supreme Court history? As I've told you before, I think this leak was more serious than what's going on now with the dueling accusations between um, supporters of President Trump and supporters of President Biden about the possession of classified uh, material. None of that material, as far as we know, 
was leaked. None of it was made public. None of it was disclosed. Certainly none of it was given to our enemies. And so um, uh, there, there was the potential for damage. But in the Supreme Court case, the actual damage occurred. Now, not all the damage. It uh, destroyed the trust in the Supreme Court. It created animosity within the court. But the most serious thing, fortunately, thank goodness, didn't happen. And that is, it apparently, the leak apparently, we don't know this for sure, but apparently encouraged uh, a zealot who was a strong supporter of Roe versus Wade to go with, with weapons, lethal weapons, onto the property of, um, of uh, Justice Kavanaugh with an intent to kill him, to murder him, to assassinate him, to change the vote of the Supreme Court. If Kavanaugh, God forbid, had been assassinated, the vote would have been for, uh, for overruling Roe versus Wade, three against overruling Roe versus Wade, and one, Chief Justice Roberts, saying, I will uphold the Mississippi statute, but at the moment, I will not overrule Roe versus Wade. It would have been a moderate victory for the pro-Roe versus Wade group and a modest defeat for the group that wanted to overrule. It would have changed the decision. And who knows, maybe a justice will die or retire and maybe that majority will no longer exist. And, and so maybe it could have changed history this leak. We don't know the answer to that question. We don't know what the intention of the leaker was. I don't believe the intention of the leaker was to incentivize a zealot to assassinate a justice of the Supreme Court, but but surely the leaker must have understood that that was a risk, that that was a possibility. And there was no good intention, that no lawful intention that the uh, leaker could have. And, and, and for me, that tips the balance. Um, this case is unique. Uh, it's the only case I know of where there was no leaking of material that would show government misconduct or misconduct on the part of the person being leaked about. The only misconduct in this case, and it was very serious misconduct, is on behalf of the leaker himself or herself. And do they deserve the protection of the privilege? I'll let you answer the question, but I think the scale slightly inclined towards saying no, um, the source in this case being a wrongdoer doesn't necessarily deserve the benefit of the privilege. I'd be interested in your letters. I know I'll get plenty of letters because I always get plenty of letters. So let me read from some of today's letters. This is a cute couple of letters. You'll remember that I described the situation where I had to give advice to then President Clinton and uh, his office had called me from the White House. On the I was on the beach, and I didn't have a cell phone in those days. And uh, so they left messages, and I got in my wife's old Volvo and drove to the house that President Clinton was renting um, uh, in, in Martha's Vineyard. And when I got there, the Secret Service searched me and asked me to open up the hood of the car, and I had trouble. I couldn't open the car. I didn't know how to do it. Um, and uh, so both the Secret Service... And the president mocked me for not being able to open up the hood of my car. So here, here are a couple of letters. If one of America's top lawyers can't figure out how to open the hood of his car, 
maybe Yale Law School should start requiring all students to take an audio an auto shop class before graduating. Well, you know, when I was in elementary school, and I was a terrible student, and and the uh, people who advised students about careers did advise me to take automobile repair courses because probably that's what I would end up doing if I couldn't get a job selling shoes somewhere in Brooklyn. Uh, but I didn't take a course in Yale Law School in automobile repair. Next letter. I don't want my lawyer as my mechanic or my mechanic as my lawyer. I think that's, that's pretty good. Um, and then finally, this is a good one. Um, if you look at what mechanics are now charging per hour, you might almost think you should be hiring a lawyer to fix your car. Yeah, there's, a, there's an old joke along along those lines about the uh, the guy, the lawyer who calls the plumber because he has a stuffed drain. The plumber comes in the middle of the night and gives him his bill. And the lawyer says, my God, I'm a lawyer. I don't charge that much. And the plumber says, yeah, I never used to charge that much when I was a lawyer either. Uh, so yeah, plumbers can be very expensive and so can lawyers. Okay, here's a nice one. You look marvelous, Professor. Did you receive cutting-edge medical treatment while you were in Israel? You seem restored, rein reinvigorated since your return. Uh, here's to your continued health and longevity. You're absolutely right. I will now reveal the secret of my cutting-edge medical treatment in Israel. Chicken soup with lots of garlic. I ate chicken soup. I couldn't take the usual medication uh, because it mixed badly with another medication I was taking. So the doctor said, just drink a lot of tea. And I said, well, what about chicken soup? Oh, that's even better. So I, I had a lot of chicken soup and probably put on a couple of pounds, but I have no idea whether the chicken soup cured me, but it took me, you know, good two and a half, three weeks to get over COVID. And I ate a lot, a lot of chicken soup. Whenever I go to Israel, I get invigorated. It's a country that invigorates you because everybody's always arguing. It's a country with, um, you know, nine million prime ministers, nine million generals. Uh, everybody has an opinion and everybody is willing to share his or her opinion with you. Okay. Keep doing what you're doing here on Rumble. You keep it from becoming an echo chamber. It's an echo chamber for the most part. If, if my letters reflect anything for the most part, um, the rumble listeners seem to have made up their mind on, on most issues, but I'm, you know, I, I don't ever like preaching to the choir. I like always taking on people who disagree with me. One of the reasons I love rumble is all opinions are accepted on rumble. They allow anything to go and, and pretty much. And um, I'm speaking to people who disagree with me. Maybe, maybe I can even influence one or two of them, but even if I can't, if I can get you to think about it, if I can get you to at least consider the other side, maybe. Some of you write me such nasty and stupid letters that you're beyond hope. But I think a lot of the others, even those who write letters, those who don't write letters, um, uh, probably, probably um, have at least the possibility of an open mind. Okay. Then we talked a little bit on prior shows about who has the right to a lawyer, uh, whether or not uh, lawyers who represent the president do it in the capacity of personal lawyers uh, or institutional lawyers for the government. And so I got a number of, of letters about uh, lawyers here. Uh, even the devil is entitled to a lawyer, and he would try to get the very best. Um, 
uh, yeah, I think I think he would. And, and that's where the term the devil's advocate comes from. I wrote a novel called The Advocate's Devil, which is uh, about an advocate, um, not the devil. But um, and of course, in A Man for All Seasons, the famous exchange um, in which Sir St. Thomas More says he would give the devil due process uh, in order to make sure that everybody else in the country gets due process. That's uh, an important part of the reason I represent devils. And believe me, I have represented a lot of devils. I've represented some angels. Mostly I represent ordinary folks like you and your relatives who get into trouble, sometimes trouble of their own doing. Sometimes they're improperly charged. Um, I have to tell you my own experience of being <laughs> accused. Um, um, and um, as you know, I, I, I denied uh, the charges from the first day they were made. Um, uh, it gave me a lot of sympathy for people who are uh, falsely accused. Never before had I experienced uh, being falsely accused. And so uh, it was an important lesson to me. It was certainly a learning lesson. I probably could have rather read it in a book than have experienced it myself for uh, nearly uh, nearly eight years. But uh, you learn, you use whatever experiences the good Lord gives you to make you a better person and a stronger uh, person. Okay, this is an interesting one. Um, the Chauvin case, remember Chauvin, uh, to my mind, one of the worst, one of the, one of the people who's done the most damage to America of any criminal that, that I know of. Um, Chauvin is the man who killed George Floyd. Uh, he did it horribly, knee on the neck, choking. Um, uh, just, just, it was a horrible, horrible, horrible incident. And it caused a very bad uh, reaction around the world. It made us have a reckoning about race, that's fine. But it uh, went much, 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 much too far um, in, in making it seem like all Americans are racists and all policemen are racists. And, and the reckoning requires a, you know, a leaning over backwards so far that um, creates problems of its own. So um, you'll remember from a previous show that I think that the Chauvin killing of George Floyd is the most significant event in America in the 21st century. That's how strongly I feel about it. So the question is, the Chauvin case is being appealed before the appeals court in Minnesota. Do you think that it will be accepted? And if so, how can he receive a fair trial at this point with the media involvement with regard to the Black Lives Movement? So there is a leading case on point. I, I haven't spoken to any of Chauvin's lawyers, but I'm sure that they will rely heavily on, on this case, among others. This is the Sam Shepard case. Do you remember Sam Shepard? Uh, he was the Cleveland doctor who was accused of, of killing his, his wife and um, movies were made of it. And F. Lee Bailey made his reputation on that case. The Supreme Court reversed that case on the ground that you can't get a fair trial when the media is basically dominating uh, the trial. There had been previous cases like that, the Leo Frank case where Krauss was standing outside and uh, uh, demanding his death, even though he was innocent, ultimately proved innocent. And eventually he was lynched by the same crowds um, that were uh, calling for his conviction. Um, but the Supreme Court ducked that case. Oliver Wendell Holmes wrote a strong dissent. But the Supreme Court ducked that case. Don't know what the court will do in the Chauvin case. The Chauvin case was worse than the uh, Shepard case. 
Shepard, there was just mass hysteria, mass media. But in the Chauvin case and in the Kim Potter case, which is a kind of sister case to the Chauvin case, she was, however, innocent. She pulled her revolver instead of the taser by complete accident. She got you know, two years in prison. But in both of those cases, uh, people were outside, not just yelling and screaming and demanding justice. They were threatening the jurors uh, implicitly. Uh, the jurors understood that if they didn't convict, their homes wouldn't be safe. Their families wouldn't be safe. Uh, their neighborhoods wouldn't be safe. That they would be, um, they would be held to pay. And I think with that kind of an environment and without the court imposing severe restrictions on what jurors could listen to, they should sequester the jurors, they should cut them off from all contact with the outside. I think in the absence of that, there is a chance that the Chauvin case uh, could be reversed. Now, what Chauvin did was so bad and so influential in American politics that there will be pressures on the court not to reverse it. The court might write a stinging opinion saying this shouldn't happen and it, it, if it happened again, we'll do something about it. And, and the evidence in this case was so overwhelming, the video evidence, that we don't reverse. That's a possibility. I just don't know. I think the Kim Potter case should be reversed. I think it will be reversed. I don't think she committed a crime at all. What she did was a complete accident. She acted in good faith. Uh, she had the perfect right to tase the fleeing felon who could have endangered a fellow policeman, endangered members of the public. Uh, she made a tragic mistake, which she would live with the rest of her life. It cost her her job. She was a very distinguished member of the Brooklyn, Minnesota. I love the name Brooklyn, Minnesota uh, police force. And now she's in and they denied bail, even though the issue in the case is so compelling. They denied bail. And so she's now served, what, close to a year of a two year sentence. So I hope that that conviction is uh, overruled. And, and I think there's a good chance it will be if justice is to be. Done. Okay. Let's see. Sorry, but Biden can have a personal lawyer and have lawyer-client privilege, but Trump's personal lawyer gets hauled in and demands that he breach lawyer-client privilege, including raiding the home of Trump's lawyer. The double standard and two systems of justice stinks. There's another. That's another understatement. No wonder Americans have lost confidence in yet another institution. Trump, as the ex-POTUS, has less legal rights than any other citizen. That overstates it a bit, but I think you're right. There has been a double uh, standard. I, I do think that um, it was too easy uh, for the government to go after Trump's lawyers. Now, you know, the argument was Trump's lawyers uh, engaged in lawyer-client fraud, and that's an exception. But we know that the government looked at uh, looked at um, material that was that was lawyer client privileged and 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 did it um, and, and and didn't take sufficient steps to make sure that they didn't have access to a lawyer client material. So I do think that there's a point to to the double standard, and even if there isn't, the appearance of injustice. Is is great, and 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 we we should um, uh, make sure that not only is is equality done, but that it seemed to be done. Okay, here's a letter that proves my point about Rumble being, at least in large part, an echo chamber. This is from Mind Over Power, 
Uh, everyone in Congress should be put in front of a firing squad, and anyone that went to Epstein's Island should be castrated and hanged. Well, that, that's fine. I'm in, I'm in at least some company. Um, um, ha having been once to Epstein's Island with my wife and my daughter and Professor Michael Porter, an extremely distinguished Harvard Business School professor at a time when no one else was on the island except uh, um, uh, Jeffrey Epstein, his staff. No young people were on the island. It's the only time I was on, on the island. And um, um, uh, so I don't think I should be castrated and hanged, uh, nor do I think that every member of Congress should be put in front of a, a firing uh, squad. In fact, I don't think that any member of Congress should be put in front of the firing squad. I think they should be hauled, some of them, in front of the Ethics Committee. Um, if they've done something wrong, they should be held accountable. They are not above the law. Um, some of them, uh, obviously, I, I don't think they should have been elected in the in the first place, and uh, I hope they're uh, not elected when they rerun. But the idea that somebody would actually write this kind of letter—he didn't mean it as a joke either. Uh, everyone in Congress should be shot, and everyone who went to Epstein's Island—that must be including the workmen who were there, um, including. Um, uh, the children, if my daughter was on the island, my God, what he's wishing on her. My daughter was, I don't know, uh, what was she, about seven or eight years old uh, when she and my wife and, um, uh, and, and, and Michael Porter and his wife and uh, other family members went for a dinner uh, on, on the island. So, um, no, I, I, I don't agree with that. And I think that... Um, Rumble should allow these kinds of idiotic things to be put on their, on their site so that we can understand uh, what, what, what comprises this country, the good, the bad, and the ugly. That was an example of the ugly. See you tomorrow.